Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. been asking this question these last few weeks and the question is what is the story of the Bible and uh, I don't mean what stories are in the Bible but what is the story of the Bible and if you could in some concise way talk about what the story of the Bible looks like then the second question is what does that mean to you what does it mean to your current moment to your current circumstances and so we've been really making an effort over these eight weeks to uh Think about the narrative that's going on. And when we step back and we try to look at the whole biblical narrative and, and the, the, the motifs that tie it together and the story that's being told, we call that discipline biblical theology. And so we've talked about the story, the narrative as a story of redemption, as a story of creativity. We've talked about it as a story of purpose and a story of promise. And today we're talking about it as a story of commitment. And so... Uh, I, if you're a guest today, I think it's important uh, that you know that we didn't decorate all of this just for this series. I just thought you might want to know. <laughs> this was uh, Vacation Bible School, uh, and uh, we try to coordinate, you know, so that uh, we can just kind of keep it up for a while because we kind of like it. Everybody still doing okay with the decor? Yeah. All right. I keep thinking, you know, that I should come out of this thing at some point. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of hieroglyphics. I don't know what it all means, but so uh, I, uh, I I think when you begin to think about the narrative of Scripture and you think about commitment, the Scripture is full of the idea of covenant. We've talked about that, especially last week when we talked about Abraham and the the original covenant and how that all worked together. But really, the covenant begins earlier than that. It really begins with Adam and Eve and. And a covenant works like this. This is what God's going to do, and this is what I need you to do. And together, we're going to make this happen. And I don't know about you, but I wish God would have picked a different methodology because this is literally how the Scripture narrative runs. I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this. And together, something wonderful is going to happen. And uh, I wish God just did everything. I wish He would just fix me and fix everything and really leave me out of it. You know, just kind of... Whatever frontal lobotomy, spiritual lobotomy God needs to do to fix my brain. Wouldn't that be awesome? Don't you like that passage of scripture? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, please. <laughs> Just whatever it would take to reprogram and rewire. But God invites us into a place of covenant where he's going to do work and we're going to do work. And, and this is a story of commitment. And, and so when you stop and you look at the story of Adam and Eve and the story of the garden and you have this moment with God of saying, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to eat from the tree of life. I'd like for you to have all of your needs met. And all I want to ask you to do is not go over here and eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't do this. Just not this one thing. And of course, Adam and Eve immediately can't survive in that environment. They they can't just eat of the fruit they've been invited to eat. And they enter into a cycle. And this cycle is a design feature that is talked about over and over in Scripture. They see, they desire, and they take. And now we get this process, this cycle that begins to happen. 
Now, I, I believe that there's this great beautiful reality about Scripture, and that is that we are to inhale and exhale, and the stories inhale and exhale, and I think we're created. My dad used to tell me whenever I was being dense, you know, like he had told me to do something, and I hadn't gotten it quite right, and he had to tell me again the step-by-step process. <laughs> he would say, all right, so I want you to mow the yard. You got to get the mower out. You got to put the gasoline in the mower. You got to start the mower. You got to... And then he would always end that long list of things with this. And then I want you to breathe in and breathe out. <laughs> like I was going to forget to breathe in and breathe out. <laughs> you know. And I guess that's a, you know, that idea of inhaling and exhaling, it's fairly fundamental to life, isn't it? I mean, pretty much, if you're not inhaling and exhaling... might want to see a doctor <laughs> quickly and when I am working with couples and we're getting ready to do a ceremony a wedding ceremony I, I say to them we want to be sure that your wedding ceremony inhales and exhales we want it to breathe and by that I mean you know if, if a wedding ceremony is all exhale that's distracting exhale is you know where we do our own thing and we make stuff up as we go and we and it's sweet and wonderful <laughs> But it needs to inhale, too. And an inhale is like this. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses to join in holy matrimony, this man and this woman. It's an honorable estate instituted of God in the time of man's innocence, signifying unto us the mystical union that exists between Christ and his church. That's an inhale. (laughs) And I'm telling you, no matter what you exhale now, it's going to be good. It's going to be better. And, and, and it has to breathe. It has to help us look up and then relate to each other. And the story of Scripture is this process of inhaling and exhaling. In fact, we're told when God creates human beings, he breathes the breath of God into their lungs, into their lives. He, he allows himself to be breathed in, and then he invites us to breathe out. That's the whole story of covenant. Genesis 17 is the first time we see the formalized covenant. God and Abraham, walk before me and be blameless, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's a big inhale. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's a giant exhale. And so we have this, this idea of covenant and commitment, and it begins to mark then the cycle of all of the story. And so as you think about how that works and how it fits together, you, you then have to flash forward and you think, so Jesus has said, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Inhale this and then exhale it to everyone else. It really matters. You got to breathe in the very presence and power of God and then we breathe it out on the world around us. That's the image, that's the idea, that's the commitment, that's the covenant, that's what we're invited to do. Paul states it in these powerful terms, 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Man, that's an inhale and an exhale. So God was busy taking the initiative to reach into our lives. He was busy reconciling us to God through Christ, not counting anyone's sins against them. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he makes this astonishing statement, as though God himself were making his appeal through us. 
We're to inhale the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, and we're to breathe it out on others. What should be coming out of our mouths? Only what is suitable for the building up of others that it may edify those who listen. And we are to be breathing out this grace, breathing in the grace of God. This is the pattern. This is the story of Israel. This process happens over and over. I mentioned Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people throw off restraint, where there is no revelation of God. Maybe you've heard this other passage, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land. Anybody know where that's spoken? That's at the dedication of the temple. That is words spoken with Solomon at the temple, at the dedication when you come here to this place, as you look up, as you, as you breathe in God, as you experience his power, then, then I want you to go out and take that out to the people around you. And this is a pattern. So, everybody doing okay, by the way? Yep. All right. It's good to see you all. I'm glad you're here. We're in the dog days of summer now. That's what this is called. So everybody's hanging in there. You're feeling good, excited about school's going to start soon. It's back to school sales. You know, I'll keep trying to pull you in. <laughs> I always wonder what happens on any given Sunday, because we have Sundays where the crowd is just quiet, just stunned in the silence. Just come in, and maybe it's just the heat. Maybe it's the jungle atmosphere. I don't know. <laughs> There's a pattern that develops in the process of the story of Israel, and it goes a little bit like this. The children of Israel are approached by God who loves them. He is the good shepherd who seeks out. And, and you can study world religions and you can look at all different ways and systems of faith, but you'll find that it's the Judeo-Christian tradition that portrays a God who reaches to his creation. All the other religions are about reaching up and finding God, about figuring out ways to get to God. This story is about a God who reaches to his creation. And so the story of Israel that will cycle again and again, that will inhale and exhale over all of the pages are these stories that have to do with God creating an initiative and an intervention in the life of his people. And the people saying, okay, this is great. We're going to do this. And God's saying, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what you're going to do. We're going to make a commitment together. And they say, yes, 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 let's do that. And then it doesn't take very long before they enter into a process we call seeing. We talked about this pattern, seeing, desiring, and taking. They enter into a process called seeing. And, and what happens when we are in the process of seeing is we get our eyes off of God and we start looking at each other. I'm so thankful that we've learned our lesson, that we've followed the narrative of Israel and we understand what happened and we understand the cycle and we've just said, we're not doing that anymore. God has created initiative in our life. He's intervened in our lives and we're going to keep looking up instead of looking around because I don't know if you know this, but when you begin to look around, things are not that good. People will let you down. I'm guessing that in this moment, whether you're sitting in the room or you're joining us on the live stream, I'm guessing that most of us right now can think about situations going on where we're looking around and it's making our hearts heavy. We're overwhelmed. We, we, we feel like we're a little bit lost in the process. We, our feelings are hurt. We're sad. We're hopeless. We, we look at the things that go on in our politics and in the policies of our country and and we're disappointed and we're sad and we're looking around and we try to drive to work and 
we're disappointed and we're sad and <laughs> we look around. And, and the cycle then for Israel is they get their eyes off God. And so we get these powerful voices where there is no vision, the people perish. Or where there is no revelation, people throw off restraint. And we see that pattern again and again and again. And they begin to look around. And as soon as they begin to look around, they are filled with desires. I don't know about you, but when I look around, I have ideas about how to fix things. I mean, I immediately start to make a plan. You know what? You know what will fix This is especially true with parents with children, just so you know. It gets worse as they get older. Because you're going to make a plan. I mean, how many times have we sat down and said, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a plan. We're going to nip it in the bud. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fix it right now. By the power of our will, we're going to fix these kids. Amen? We see and we desire. We make a plan. Generally, we're not making necessarily the best plan. We're just making a plan. We're making our plan. We're, it's going to suit us. It's going to be the way we believe it, the way we see it, the way we understand it. It's especially dangerous with children because they're growing up in a different culture than us. We have to temper the plan. In fact, what we're really instructed to do is look up and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. But we have a tendency when we start to see to take. To take. It's a pattern that happens again and again and again and again in the story of Israel. If you just want to trace the pattern, this fits almost every piece of the narrative. And then once we've seen and we've desired, then we take. We take matters into our own hands. We see what needs to be done. I'm guessing right now there's people in the room, there's people listening who are saying, listen, I have looked around and there are some things that aren't working very well and I've got a plan. I've got some ideas about how they could work better. I, would, I will change some things. I'm going to fix some things. I'm going to... I'm just going to, I'm going to step into it. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I'm so tired of the status quo. I'm just going to jump in. And then we take. Happened to Adam and Eve. They see the fruit. They desire the fruit. They take the fruit. And then all kinds of bad things happen. All kinds of brokenness happens. And so we see this pattern emerging, and it goes through all the cycles of the life of Israel. It starts with the law. So the, the law is given to the children. The children of Israel say, listen, uh, this is so obscure. You know, you've invited us to some things, and uh, we've had 400 years of captivity, and you've just released us, and we've seen the power of God manifest, but we need to know more about who you are. We don't really know what you expect of us. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you the gift of the law. And so he writes down the Ten Commandments, and you do know how the story goes, right? So Moses goes up the mountain, and the mountain is covered with a cloud, and it's rumbling, and we're told that you can't touch the mountain or you'll be struck dead, which is fairly vivid, you know, powerful representation of God. You generally wouldn't sit in that space and go, I wonder where God is. But that's exactly what happens. He, he goes up. God is intervening in their lives to offer them the, the law, the covenant. Here's the commitment. Thou shalt not. Any misunderstanding. Let's keep it real simple. There'll be ten. Don't. Don't do these things and do commit to these things. And while the mountain is rumbling, the people are at the bottom and they have, instead of looking up, have started to look around. And what are they seeing as they look around? I don't think he's coming back. I think whatever is going on up there has killed him. And we're going to sit down here at the bottom of this mountain forever. And we're never going to know what happened. 
And we'll all just, they'll just come someday and we'll be sitting around the bottom of this mountain and there'll just be skeletons here. And so Aaron sees that there's a problem, desires to fix it, and takes the gold. Well, technically he, he gathered the gold and threw it in a pot and the calf came out of the pot by itself. He had really very little to do with what happened next. You've heard the story, right? And so this moment of the law, we have this process in which God is intervening. And while God is still intervening, instead of looking up, they've started to look around. And they've, they've, they've gotten desires and they've taken. And now they're worshiping an idol. And we know that, that God is asking them to be obedient because he just wants us to run the obstacle course of obedience. Right? We know that God is asking them to be obedient because he has what's best for them in mind. I don't know how you were taught morality, but I was taught morality like this. This is good for you. You won't want it. You won't like it. It'll go against every part of your human nature, but it's good for you. That's really not a very good teaching tool. Here's the truth. God says this is what's best for you. I know it's easy to go that way. I know it's easy to see and desire and take. I get that. But that's not best for you. It's not good for you emotionally, mentally. It's not good for you relationally. As our culture says, let's throw off these old-fashioned ideas and these restraints. It's not going well. People aren't finding the fulfillment that was promised. It's not turning out okay. Morality is, is, is God saying, listen, I want to protect you and hold you. I want your heart to be whole. I want your relationships to be whole. I want your mind to work in ways that free you. I, I, I want you to have life and have it to the full. You, I'm inviting you to eat from the tree of life, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, please. And the cycle continues. We think we know best. We think we get it. We think we know how to fix it. We're impatient. We're tired of waiting. We don't want to trust. We don't want to walk by faith. We want to do it ourselves. And it goes through the period of the law. And the period of the law is, is capped over at the end by the children of Israel. They, they go up to the Jordan River and they look over into the, the promised land and they decide, nope, it's too hard. Yes, God delivered us from Egypt. Yes, God delivered us from Pharaoh. Yes, he gave us the law. Yes, he's been with us. But we just think this is too big and we're not going to go. And they wander around in the wilderness. And then Joshua, Moses dies. Joshua comes, what does Joshua do? He brings the children of Israel into a moment of recommitment. Okay, we're going to start over. This is what God, God's intervening. This is what he asks of us. We're going to look up and now we're going to go. And they do. They cross into the promised land and they conquer the promised land. And, and, and we close out the period of the law as Joshua prepares to die. He gathers the people and he says those immortal words. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we end the period of the law and we enter the period of the judges. And the judges then come, and in the period of the judges, they're interpreting the law. They're telling people, okay, well, here's what the law is about, and now I'm going to hear your, okay, well, this is how God wants to apply the law in your specific situation. And we enter this 410-year period that is the period of uh, the judges. And, and as the period of the judges sort of begins to come to a close, we enter the period of the prophets. We need God's intervention in powerful ways. The law is not enough anymore. Interpreting the laws, we need to hear the voice of God. Thus saith the Lord. The prophets come with these powerful 
personalities and images, thus saith the Lord. We're not just looking at the law. We're hearing directly from the heart of God. And there's renewal in the prophets. The, the prophets called the nation of Israel back to commitment. And they come back to commitment. And then they begin to look around. And then they begin to solve it for themselves. And then bad things happen. And then another prophet comes and there is renewal. Anybody notice this pattern in the scripture? And there's an opportunity for fresh starts and new beginnings and redemption and new commitment. And then they begin to look around and then they begin to desire and then they begin to take. And then there are patterns that fall apart. The prophets give way to the kings. The kings and the prophets serve simultaneously. We don't really leave ever the place of the prophets, but, but, but the kings take precedent. And they take precedent, why? They take precedent because the people see other nations and desire to be like them and take a king. And so they enter into this period of the kings. And, and the kings and the prophets will battle together. They will hold one another in checks and balances. Sometimes the kings and the prophets are all on the same page of doing exactly what God wants. And sometimes they're not on the same page. And we enter into a period now where we not only have prophets and kings, but we have false prophets who say who will say what the people long to hear and create confusion about who's telling the truth about God. Aren't you glad we finally grew out of these cycles? And the period of the kings are highlighted with Jeroboam and Rehoboam when they come to odds in such a way that a family now is torn in half. And the family of Jacob is torn into two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Hezekiah, 200 years later, comes to power in the southern kingdom and he gets the word of God and he reads the word of God and he invites the southern kingdom to a time of recommitment and a time of inviting the intervention of God. He's so moved in this process that he invites the king of the northern kingdom and says, listen, we ought to all get together again and we ought to honor God and the king of the northern kingdom says, nope, we value our independence. We see, we desire, we take. 722, the Assyrians attack the northern kingdom and the northern kingdom falls. It's 200 years later that the southern kingdom enters the same cycle. This time it's the Babylonian kingdom. The intervention of God, the invitation to be committed, the invitation to look up and follow God instead of looking around and doing it ourselves, and they just can't bring themselves to do it. And, and, and the Babylonians come, and in 586, they sack the northern kingdom, and the people are carried off into exile. And subsequent to the capture of the Babylonians, the Persians come and they take over Babylon, Cyrus, and then Darius, and then Xerxes, and then Artaxerxes. And I tell you that because there are biblical stories woven through all of them. Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and now the prophets rising up. It's under Artaxerxes that, that, that a person named Ezra and a person named Zerubbabel are sent back to Jerusalem to do what? Rebuild the temple and rediscover the word. You with me? We're coming to the close of the Old Testament. We're racing. We left the Exodus last week and we are at the end of the Old Testament. It's under Artaxerxes that Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, asked permission to go 
And with Ezra and Zerubbabel already rebuilding the temple and rediscovering, Nehemiah goes to rebuild the walls. And we close the Old Testament with Ezra standing before the people with the rediscovered word of God saying, this is what God is inviting us to do. This is the nation he's asking us to be. This is the commitment he's asking us to make. And we have these people with the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the walls and the reestablishment of the word. We're beginning to close down the Old Testament with this rebirth of covenant. And now the New Testament opens. You thought I was going to fall, didn't you? <laughs> that would dress it up, wouldn't it? I'm not beyond physical stunts to get your attention. So we open the New Testament, listen to Luke 1.17. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That, that we open our hearts in this way, that this cycle is continuing, but now something significantly different is going to happen. John is going to take us right back to creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And the Word became flesh. It was tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory that's an inhale, isn't it? I mean, that's just breathing in the, the great story of God to intervene in our lives. The great hope of the incarnation. And then you and I are invited to breathe in this power of God and then to breathe it out on the people around us. If I was guessing this morning, I would guess that for those of us gathered in this place, there's a whole lot of us who are bothered by things that are happening around us. And I, I, I don't think we should ever become insensitive to what's going on around us. I just think there's an order to the process. And what God invites us to do is, first of all, look up. And maybe you came in discouraged and overwhelmed. And, and I, I would be the first to say, there are some problems systemically in life and family systems and relationships and marriages with children, with grandchildren, with finances, with politics and policies and legal stuff that are complex beyond imagination. One of the great challenges is to look at life and try to figure out what's the next right step. But God just patiently says, why don't you look up first? And instead of just despairing, instead of just looking around and trying to solve it all, look up. Seek my face. Breathe in my spirit. Find a place where where the inspiration of God, you know the word inspiration, it literally means breathe it in. How often are we just quiet? I mean, just a place of peace. And how many people in our world are searching for that? I mean, we, I don't know about you, but you know, I like, I like to have kind of a peaceful existence. So like I have to spend time writing and when I write I have to I have a sound effects and it's rain because we don't have thunderstorms enough in California. I came from land of thunderstorms and tornadoes, but I don't have a recording of tornadoes. That's not as <laughs> soothing. 
So you, if you come in my office, it's kind of dark, and then the rain shower, some rumbling thunder, and I have a little candle burning. <laughs> People will open my door and go, are you in there? <laughs> no, I'm not. Isn't it funny? It doesn't matter where you go. People are looking for a place. They'll, they do all kinds of crazy things to find a little place of peace. We have come up with all kinds of ways of finding peace. I heard over at the spa they beat you with eucalyptus leaves because it helps you find your zen. And God said, I just want you to be quiet. Be still and know that I'm God. I'm not asking you to figure it all out. I'm not asking you to solve it all. I'm not asking you to, I'm asking you to be still and inhale the very presence. You don't have to believe the story. You can believe other stories. But if you want to understand the biblical narrative, the biblical narrative says, I am available to you to be the inspiration of your life. I'm not just asking you to find some quiet place in your brain. I'm asking you to look up and to breathe in the very presence of God and to let the mercy of God and the grace of God and the strength of God inhabit you. I don't want you to go to church. I want you to be the church. I want it to inhabit your being. I want you to gather for encouragement and strength and guidance and equipping. And then I want you to breathe in. And then I want you to breathe out. I want you to breathe out on your marriage. I want you to breathe out on your children. I want you to breathe out on your family. I want you to breathe out on your neighbor. I want you to breathe out on the crazy people in traffic. Exactly. Don't, don't judge. That's the most response we've had today. <laughs> Bailey, and now... I want you to breathe it in. And what if it's that simple? What if all God ever asks of Israel to, is to breathe in and breathe out? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Breathe in. Breathe out. It's a story of commitment to believe some things, to hold on to some things, to stop looking around, stop believing that we have the answer to solve it, and stop taking control. Whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. God, would you help us? Would you remind us that this complex story that cycles again and again and again and again is our story. We don't just have to see it. We live it. We invite you. We ask you to help us. And then we get busy about looking around and analyzing and trying to figure things out. And even in this moment, there are those of us who are twisted up, anxious, overwhelmed because of circumstances that are going on around us, because of people, because of difficult things, because of the condition of our world, because of tragedy that strikes. But you've reminded us again and again, where there is no revelation, people throw off restraint. And so we humble ourselves on this Sunday morning and we invite you into this space we we want to breathe you in we want you to speak into the thoughts that race around in our head 
and into the emotions that seem to rule our whole being. We desire, God, that as we breathe in your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your strength, that you remind us that we're not going to fix the world. In fact, you didn't even ask us to fix the world. You just asked us to go and to love our neighbor as ourself. And perhaps in breathing in and breathing out, we could just begin by breathing on our own families, loving them better and better. Would you teach us what it means to rest in you, to break this cycle, to be a part of a different story, one of commitment, one of grace, one of love, one in which we have found life and found it to the full. Would you hear our prayers? Even as we sing these great words in closing, would you hear our prayers and hear our hearts as we respond to your word? We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.